Welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor CIO. In this episode, we're circling back to one of the key themes to emerge from our debut two-part episode on AI being natural language processing. All the different areas of AI, NLP has emerged as one with arguably the most tangible immediate potential to help organizations achieve real insights and drive value. But languages, especially unstructured, of course, making the challenge of successfully deploying NLP all the greater. But for those organizations that get it right, the rewards can be very impressive indeed. Our first guest is Hannah Sakai, Director of Analytics, Strategy, Innovation Division with IAG, Australia's largest general insurer. Hannah, welcome to the CIO show. I know it's been tough. <laughs> no worries. I'm really happy to be here. Fantastic. So look, I understand that last year, you and your, your team started a small natural language processing trial in hopes of speeding up insurance claims for, for cars that might have been written off or in, ac- in accidents, or I think total loss is the official term in the industry. Yeah, that's right. At IAG, we developed a solution that uses natural language processing, machine learning and business process automation yeah. to predict whether a motor vehicle will be written off after a car accident. Mm. So the aim being to improve the customer experience by reducing the claims processing times from just a few days to just a few days down from what used to be over three weeks for a total loss claim. From what you've told me, this is a, a, a really a really classic and um and just just wonderful AI project, or certainly AI project story, whereby you, know, you and a re- relatively small team of people went away, worked on this project without really much kind of um, you know oversight or awareness on the part of, of of management, and created something that I understand, in your own words, uh, started out as a trial that you basically now have not turned off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, um, yeah we, what we did originally was we brought together a diverse team of people. So that included data scientists, subject matter experts from yeah. the claims team, and also people from our technology team. Yeah. And we gave them the, the goal of reimagining the claims experience from the customer point of view. So we, we started off in a bit of a discovery phase by yeah. using customer interviews to understand what the pain points might be during the claims process and we also complemented this and validated this by using natural language processing to analyze the claims notes and what we found out that total loss was an area that could really use some improvement i I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident hopefully not i have Um, but you have yeah i still have i still have all my limbs just (laughs) that's good that's good (laughs) But having a car accident can be a really traumatic experience, Indeed. especially the heavy hits that result in total loss. Yeah. But while these um, car accidents for most people are relatively infrequent events, it also means that because they're infrequent, people are unfamiliar and confused by the claims process. Yep. We really saw that as an opportunity to improve customer communication during the process mm. and also to reduce those processing times using NLP machine learning and business process automation. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because it, it does stand a reason, stands a reason, doesn't it, that if you were to be in that you know, sort of serious an accident um, and have a vehicle, you know, damaged to the point where it's potentially written off, I, I imagine you would be more likely to make more calls and have more interaction with your insurer, whether that be, you know, for practical reasons or just out of general anxiety, right? Yeah, that's right. Our, our claims consultants play a vital role mm. during this time because they're, they're, they're really there to provide empathy and support our customers through the process. But what we found, though, customers were also ringing up just to check on the process. You know, in, in the heavy hits, they're 
vehicles aren't drivable. So they're without a a vehicle or they're in a hire car and they're just really keen to to get back on the road. So by letting them know up front through, um, you know, I guess early identification of total loss and preparing them that their vehicle might be a total loss, Mm. you know, we can mentally prepare them to be buying a new vehicle down the track. And yeah. by speeding up the process, we can get them back on the road faster as well. Yeah. Now, so tell me about how the natural language processing actually works. Like if we get into the sort of, you know, nerdy wordiness of what you're actually doing with the language and how the technology is helping you there. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, at a high level, what we do is we take the data collected during claims lodgement um, specifically when it relates to natural, natural language processing, we take the text from the claims description. And before we can feed that into our machine learning models to predict the total loss or not, we need to, I guess, clean that data and make it usable and readable by the machine learning model. Yeah. So we'll apply techniques like word limitization, engrams, looking at the frequency of the words and remove common words that just don't make sense will only add noise to the machine learning models as well. Now, word limitization and engrams, what are they? <laughs> word limitization <laughs> is a process where we'll, we'll take a word um, and all of the words in, in the sentence and convert them so that they have a consistent base meaning. Mm. So uh, to give you an example, um, we might have the word having and have in yep. a sentence but we convert the having to have so it's consistent and we know what we're talking about there and the machine knows what we're talking about there. Right. And n-grams? n-grams is the process. So instead of just looking at single words and feeding them into the machine learning model, sometimes it's better to have more context. So an example there would be we're having a bigram, so that's – you know, not just one gram, two two grams, two words together. Yeah. We can combine things like words together like traffic light, which might have more meaning together than just the word traffic on its own, which would have a completely different meaning. Sure. And so what, what have been some of the key, you know, discoveries of the project at OIG? Um, well, we've had fantastic um, outcomes from, yeah. from the project. Like I said, we've managed to reduce claims processing time down from – over three weeks to just a few days. We've learned that we can use AI in these situations to help assist our claims consultants in the processing of claims. And we've also found that we're able to improve customer experience as well by using AI. We saw an uplift of about 25% in our MPS for people who were part of the trial compared to people who were not part of the trial. Sure. Now, so I understand that this is this has come out of the a, um, IAG's AI Center of Excellence. Difficult to say that. Tell me a bit about more about that that Center of Excellence. Yeah, we, we established that when we formed our, our new AI team a, a couple of years ago. Mm. We have three main focus areas that um, we try and I guess educate um, our organization around AI and what it can do. Yeah. We assure the quality of any AI applications um, or vendors that we want to use. That really gives us the benefit of being an educated buyer mm. when AI is you know, in pretty much every bit of software that you buy these days. And I, I guess our third area of focus is to actually develop AI solutions where it is appropriate to do so. Sure. And so what's, what's next for natural language processing at, at IAG? I mean, is are there other applications that you could foresee within the organisation for the for the technology solutions that you've developed so far? 
Yeah, there are um, hundreds of potential applications, to be honest with you. Right. But what we're focusing on in the near term is looking at whether we can apply similar methodology as we've applied to total loss to predicting whether a motor claim is, whether our insurer is uh, liable for a motor claim or not. And we're planning on using that to automate the claims validation process. Mm -hmm. And so with a customer making a claim for, you know, a serious accident that's potentially resulting in a write-off, um, th- those people that are particularly um, vulnerable and emotional, aren't they? I mean, this, this seems to be a fairly interesting aspect to this um, to this initiative. Yeah, um, yeah customers are um, extremely vulnerable at, at this point in time. So we want to aim to make the process as simple as possible for them. Yeah. Um, one thing that we did do um, was to, I guess, roll this out in a step-by-step fashion. We ran a small-scale experiment initially to ensure that we could get some learnings before we actually rolled this out at scale to all of our NRMA, SGIO and FGIC customers. And do you think that, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, that these are especially vulnerable customers that are, that are providing, you know, fairly, you know, raw information about themselves and their emotions as well, has that, has that sort of forced you in your mind to um, focus perhaps a, a sort of brighter light on this project in terms of um, AI and ethics? I'm not sure it's a brighter light. We apply uh, rigorous uh, ethics, uh, our rigorous ethics framework to every AI project of that course. we do. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. But yeah, uh, you know, we do want to make sure that, you know, we are considering the potential harm to our customers before we activate any AI. Yeah. We need to make sure, not just people who are part of the trial, but um, people who are not part of the trial and, you know, what, what are the adverse potential impacts to them. Um, you know, and as I said, we reduce the risk by um, using experimentation on a small scale before rolling out um, on a bigger scale as well. Sure. And, and as I as I mentioned in the intro, I mean, it's, it's it's been well, you know, it's been a lot of people talking about writing about the fact that natural language processing is sort of one of the more tangible um, areas of AI, one of the areas of AI that seems to be presenting the most immediate opportunities at the moment. What was what's been the reaction from you know at, at sort of managerial board level at IAG? Because I understand I mean, you guys have locked yourselves away for for a period of time and then kicked off this trial without much awareness outside of your team. But of course, you've produced these rather outstanding, rather compelling results. I mean, what's been the reaction from management? Well, I wouldn't presume to put words in the mouths of uh, our management, but I personally <laughs> believe that having an activated use case like our predictive total loss model, you know, it really makes the benefits of AI tangible yeah. and contextual rather than it just being a, you know, a buzzword that people hear about. And and just, just further to your saying that you, you feel there's potentially hundreds of, of applications throughout um, IAG for this this type of solution. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like what, what other areas do you think you could potentially be looking at? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, I guess the example that I've given so far is really about um, natural language processing on text. But there are a lot of applications on, um, you know, leveraging our voice data as well. I mean, we can convert our voice data to text. We can do things like having um, chatbots and virtual agents that are more driven by NLP. You're talking about recording, potentially recording conversations between customers and um, and claims officers over the phone and then and then that being translated into text. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, so I, I guess there's two ways of applying natural language processing. So you can 
apply it directly on voice, which is becoming more and more common with the advances in, I guess, data management and computing power. But there's also, um, I guess, natural language processing on text. So um, you can look at chatbots who work off text rather than voice, or you can have virtual agents that, you know, work off the voice of a customer. And we can do things like analyze the sentiments uh, sentiment of the customer and start to do things like nudge our, our consultants in, in real time to you know provide them with help and um, support during their calls. Well, it's interesting you say that as well because we, with regard to the you know the total loss solution that you developed. I mean, obviously, you're not talking about um, removing claims officers, you know, humans from the equation. You really you're talking about you know empowering those people with you know, with richer data, with more sort of relevant data so to, to enable them to help the customers faster to get these claims down, as you say, from three weeks potentially to three days. And then presumably, you know, freeing those people up to do more meaningful work. I mean, is that what you're finding? That's exactly right. It's not our intention to replace our fantastic claims consultants. They play a vital role in supporting our customers. Yeah. It's about how do we use AI to make them more effective in their roles and, and free up their time to do some of the more complex work and spend that valuable time with customers rather de- than doing back office tasks. Yeah, indeed, so important. And back to your, um, you know, we're, we're talking about the the management at, at IAG. I'm sure that they would would be very, um, you know, interested to hear more about that aspect of the project, enabling staff to do more meaningful work, less sort of uh, repetitive work. Um, what you know, what, what, what's your feeling in terms of, you know, IAG's appetite or the appetite of, of senior management and bean counters to invest further in um, in these sorts of AI projects and natural language processing in particular, given, you know, given the quite stunning results you've been able to demonstrate so far? Again, um, I can't speak on behalf of, of management. What I am seeing is um, increased appetite to support our, our processes with the use of AI and automation yeah, and primarily with the benefit of improving customer experience and, and doing things like reducing processing time. It's fantastic. Well, Hannah, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with it. Really interested to hear about how that how that project um, you know, morphs, evolves and develops and we look forward to having you back on the CIO show again soon. Thank you. We enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organization. Now with a growing number of students enrolling in online courses, And of course, with regular students learning from home due to COVID-19 more often, it's becoming harder for educators to determine whether they're getting through and what students are actually feeling and thinking. Now, academics at the University of South Australia recently began a trial um, bringing artificial intelligence and natural language processing in to address this. And joining us now is the lead on that project, Dr. Rhoda Abadia, Program Director with the University of South Australia's Online Bachelor of IT and Data Analytics. What a mouthful, Rhoda. Welcome to the CRO Show. Hi, David. Thanks for inviting me. No, you're welcome. So tell me about, tell me about how this project came to being. So one of the things that we're struggling as online lecturers is mm. that we don't see our students uh, face-to-face. And uh, 
At night when you go to a classroom, you can actually see the emotions and the reactions of your students whenever you give a lecture. Mm-hmm. So in an online space, you don't get to see their reactions. And I think the only way we can capture that is when we read their discussion forum posts or the emails they, they send to us or yeah. the chat messages that they send to Which us. is what this, this initiative is about, isn't it? It's trolling, yeah. trolling the chat forums and, and, and email. Yeah. Yes, and that's how it sort of triggered us to look um, and to look at this and see if we can actually use sentiment analysis in mm. finding out how the students are feeling or thinking mm. when they're doing a particular or learning a particular topic in the in the course. And so, how are you training your AI systems to do this? Because, for instance, it shouldn't be assumed that a collection of algorithms could determine the difference between sincerity and sarcasm, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So that's one of the challenges in sentiment analysis because mm-hmm. machines can't determine sarcasm, right? right. Yeah. And also um, the student feedback that we get or that this, the text that we get are actually unstructured text. So we have to make sure that we extract useful information from those uh, what we call unstructured texts. Mm-hmm. So we have to pre-process the data and we have to identify from there, extract what we call features. And when we say features, we just say which do we think is a positive comment and which one is a negative comment. And then given those uh, words, so sometimes we use the term uh, bag of words. So we have this set of words that we put together and we say, look, if it's, for example, late, there's a keyword called interesting, helpful, great, excellent, then we label it as a positive. Yeah. And um, if there's a word that's irrelevant or boring, yeah. uh, then we, we label them as, as negative. So that's how we train uh, the, the model that we have. So aside from that, mm. we also have some, what we call the lexicon features mm. where we put together um, some sen- sentences. So, for example, uh, if we have a sentence, I enjoyed her lecture. So the words lecture uh, and enjoy are considered positive. Yes. And then when you say the teacher is fine, then even the teacher and fine are considered positive opinions. Uh, but what, what, what we're seeing, though, is um, the word and this is funny, the word teaches is actually um, based from that lexicon features that we're looking at. It's always associated with a negative uh, word, right. but the word teacher is always associated with a positive uh, oh, that's one. That's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, that, that, that's what we've been uh, getting from uh, this lexicon. Even, But the word instructor yep. is labeled as negative. So there are some who have um, put together the word. So always when they use the word instructor, it's with a negative word. Wow. And even the word course, yeah. uh, they associate it with the negative. Um, yeah. Most of them associate it with the negative. Mm-hmm. There are some who are actually uh, positive. So um, once we've extracted that um, lexicon uh, and we have those words that we have identified as positive and negative, Mm -hmm. then we start training our model. And this is what we call our sentiment analysis model. Um, And it's just the same as any of the 
classification model being yeah. used for predicting. So yeah. it just means that once we are given another set of forum posts or opinion given or feedback given by the student, our model should be able to identify if it's a positive or a negative uh, comment. And the model, um, the model that we use is the support vector machine, mm-hmm. which is um, a known uh, classification uh, model, and we also use the decision tree model. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's it, it strikes me that student university students, just like teenagers, and actually many of us are teenagers when we start university, aren't necessarily um, brilliant at. Um, expressing what we really feel. Do you feel do you feel that the system that you're building is perhaps helping extract sentiment from students that perhaps they're not even necessarily aware of within themselves? Yeah, good that you pointed that out. You know, yeah. um, sometimes when we when we do get and just to let you know that the, the students that we have are actually not young students. Uh, our age range is between 25 to 60. And, uh-huh. this, and even adults um, find it very difficult to express yep. themselves when they want to make a comment. And I think it's because they say some of them have this thinking that <laughs> if I make this comment, it might affect my grades. I yeah. oh, think, of course, uh, yeah. yeah. And of course, yeah. it should, of course so, it should be clear for the listeners that the, the, the course that the students that were that are involved in this trial are for um, computer science um, studies at the, at the University yeah, of Australia, so right? Yeah, it's, it's IT, yeah, yeah for yeah, the yeah. Uh, IT students. So we're only tr- we're trialing it to some yeah. of the courses, uh, IT courses that we're offering uh, online. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, 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 with those students, some of them will not directly inform you if, for example, they're struggling in the course. So there, there's this very long sentence. So as a human, so for example, me as a lecturer, I have to read it and try to extract and find out what exactly the student wants. Yes. But um, that's the struggle or struggle. But one of, again, an issue with sentiment analysis because the machines cannot directly that they just look at the word yeah. without the entire context. Actually, even if someone who has not been teaching and then will read that statement will actually meet, probably interpret it differently from us who, who's been teaching the course for some time because we know when a student is being sarcastic yeah. or, um, yeah, so if they're introducing some sarcasm in, in that, that email or now, presumably, that presumably that level of sentiment analysis is is very useful for you know refining for refining the coursework, finessing the study in order to to communicate the message and and, and provide better education outcomes. But but presumably also it's it's useful for determining whether um, students and not just in your online courses now that we're in this COVID period, whether students generally are so disaffected that they might be you know contemplating dropping out. And I suppose when a lot of students are at that stage, there might also be issues and concerns around their, their mental health and well-being, right? Yes. Yeah, so the benefit of using the sentiment analysis for us is to be able to prioritize our action. So there are two things, right? So you, if, if you can see that the, the model can sort of help us see if the students are starting to get disengaged yes. or starting to lose the motivation, um, the course. 
uh, so we can prioritize action and uh, you know get in touch with the student and talk to the student in the same way if the student is struggling. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, where sentiment analysis is really uh, quite important in an online uh, course where you have a big, uh, large number of cohorts. Yeah. Um, it helps, sentiment analysis helps provide us the information um, in which particular topic the student um, seems to be finding it difficult because you know they use all these words, I need help or I'm struggling here. Yeah. It's not working. So all of these things help us to prior, prioritize the action. And also, given the limited resources that we have, we can focus on who needs help. Mm-hmm. The second, I think, advantage of the sentiment analysis is, like what you said, is some of them, the, the, the struggling word sometimes means, are, is the student really struggling with the course or really struggling personally right yeah. uh, in, in terms of so um, very, with, very um, important distinction <laughs> yeah. yeah so and and sometimes that, that's something we can't really find out um, by just one sentence right if this was struggling and that's when uh, we follow up and say what do you mean by by struggling right and and then um, that's when we, we realize that when students say they're struggling, Actually, it's not the course they're often referring to, but it's more of um, the current situation plus studying makes them struggle yeah. in the course. Yeah. So that, that's, um, but then again, machines won't automatically do that. That's when, when we do training. Mm. And when I say training, obviously now if we get another set of posts from the students and we put it in our model, will our model predict this as, you know, something that needs help or mm-hmm. something that's really just personal can yep. be like that. Yeah. Um, but we have to sort of supervise that, that training of the model. We have to tell the model, oh, when they say struggle plus this word, so for example, struggle plus work, it means it's not really a course itself. That helps us to ch- tune in into a specific point in time. Now, of course... Many of our listeners appreciate, or most of our listeners would appreciate, the computer programming can be extremely difficult. And as we know, not all CIOs um, actually have programming skills. But uh, let me ask you, Rodder, is is it your feeling that this system, um, you know, depending on how it goes, it sounds as though it is actually um, being quite successful in helping you, you know, um, glean important insights into the mental state of your students. Um, is it your expectation that this might be rolled out at the University of South Australia more broadly? Well, well I hope so. Um, we, we, what we're looking, I think this is really um, very helpful. Like I said, nowadays when um, even the on-campus courses have been uh, moved um, online now yeah. um, and everyone studying online, then this will um, help the, the, the lecturer provide the support, yeah. um, on-time support, yeah, um, yeah. At, at, yeah. Um, and the sentiment analysis has been really successful in all other areas now, in, um, especially in product and marketing and customer relationships. Sure. And this is no different from um, education, you know, our students our customers, we take care of them, we want to support them. Yeah. So sentiment analysis actually will support us to be able to support our students. 
Well, fantastic, Rhoda. Thanks for sharing those insights with us. All the best of luck with it. It's a fascinating, fascinating trial, and we uh, look forward to hearing more about it and having you back on the CIO show again soon. Thanks very much, and all the best. Okay. Now, healthcare organisations and and governments have invested enormous amounts of money in developing electronic health records. I think we can all agree that the ROIs on on those have been fairly unimpressive. We still have physicians and nurses experiencing something of digital fatigue as the volumes of data continue to grow exponentially. Our final guest on this episode is Sharon Hackiness, Senior Director Analyst at Gartner and former healthcare CIO. Welcome back to the show, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Now, tell me what you're seeing in terms of the potential for natural language processing in healthcare. Look, seeing really exciting advancements in the adoption of natural language processing technology, both from a text analytics perspective and also from a conversational interface and a a speech-to-text basis. Mm -hmm. For many years, organisations have been using um, digital transcription devices but they've been fairly cumbersome and difficult to use and and involved a lot of training of the clinicians. But as NLP is progressing, the opportunities and the scope of how the technologies can be used to reduce the burden on clinicians and improve the value we receive out of the electronic health record is is vast. Sure. And, of course, a large proportion of... um of healthcare data is 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 unstructured. I suppose that goes without saying, right? So, um, what what you know, what are you seeing in terms of you know how NLP is helping healthcare organisations, healthcare professionals, bring that information together and find meaning? Um, it's still uh, relatively early days, but we're certainly seeing some really exciting use cases evolve and some clear areas where we can see uh, that return on investment. If we think about, you're exactly right. You know, eighty percent of the data within the electronic health record is unstructured and yep. so that's where the value is. Yep. So there's simple use cases like being able to um, use NLP to create a summary of the information within the electronic health record and present that to the clinician mm-hmm. up front. So rather than having to sift through all of the volumes of information within the record to find what they need, those summaries are certainly helping to save time and direct the clinicians to the most clinically relevant information. Mm-hmm. Other use cases are, are very... Um, common use case and evolving use case at the moment is being able to trawl through that unstructured data to identify patients who might be appropriate for clinical trials. So at the moment, a lot of the time we have researchers, you know, searching Mm. um, for patients, reading the electronic health record and rather than having to sift through, you know, thousands of records, you know, NLP is being able to be used to really narrow that down to hundreds and save a lot of time. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, I understand that it's not just about natural language processing. There's uh, there's a few other categories that um, I picked up on in reading a, a report that you um, you penned recently. We have natural language understanding (NLU) and natural language generation (NLG) as subsets of NLP. Please explain. So, the way that we can look at NLP applications in um, healthcare is we can break it down into those components mm. and use um, different parts of those components in for different use cases. So being able to, uh, so if we take the example of a really emerging technology in an emerging space, which is what we're calling an ambient digital scribe. So being able to uh, listen into a clinical encounter, mm. having a smart uh, speaker and a microphone in the room, being able to use natural language understanding to understand that 
that clinical conversation, draw out the key themes and the key uh, parts of that clinical encounter and then use natural language generation to summarise that encounter into a clinical note mm. that is then presented back to the clinician for review and sign-off without the clinician needing to enter any um, data to the computer themselves. Right. And so and what other applications? I'm particularly interested in hearing more about the applications of NLP in the, in the research space. So in, in terms of research, I think one of the other um, great applications has been in, uh, if you think about the volume of research that's um, published um, mm. across every day. Uh, yeah. So we're yeah. now seeing actually, actually used to be a healthcare journalist. I appreciate it fully. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So keeping across that research is incredibly difficult. Yeah. And so being able to use natural language understanding to sift through um, all of those articles and all of that um, research that's published and help find the most relevant articles given the clinical query uh, that the clinician has, it's really starting to evolve. And, and there's been some very um, specific applications, specific funding of that for, you know, for COVID research, mm. where being able to identify, you know, case, uh, you have a case, a clinician has a case where they think there might a stroke might be related to COVID and being able to sift for those words together and identify, you know, the, the clinically relevant uh journal and research aligned to that has been quite quite remarkable. It's it's so fascinating because, you know, most people think of, you know, IT and healthcare as the study of genes, the study of proteins, all that sort of stuff, amino acids, et cetera. But this is it's just extraordinary, this potential to bring together um I suppose what you're doing is aggregating observation, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a, another good example of that is if we think about in the research space, being able to report clinically um, relevant uh, outcomes that are meaningful to the patient mm. uh, and being able to, again, look through the electronic health record data and identify uh, functional patient outcome measures uh, based on their response to their, their therapy rather than uh, static uh, research-based outcome measures. So, for example, if someone had... Um, urology surgery for incontinence, being able to then review the notes as the person comes back to see if there's any reports of ongoing incontinence as an outcome measure and using that from a clinical perspective but also from research perspective to look at real-world evidence um, for effectiveness of of different clinical interventions. Yeah, right. I mean, so much much um, spoken about, so much written about the potential for AI in healthcare. And as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, it's it's sort of incontrovertible, really, that natural language processing is emerging as one of the key sort of real tangible areas of AI in so many industries, especially in healthcare. You know, how important do you see NLP specifically being for the future of healthcare? Uh, well, I'm very um, passionate about this topic, and I'm really excited about I have picked the up on possibilities. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm super excited about the possibilities of of using NLP from that data perspective and really driving value and insights and being able to deliver those back to the clinicians where it's really important. But also, again, in modernising the way we help clinicians interact with technology, we haven't sort of spoken about the ability to use NLP to create conversational user interfaces, which just as we asked Siri today what the weather's going to be, mm. being able to query the electronic health record and ask Siri, ask the electronic health record, what was that patient's last test result or 
uh, Siri, can you order this new test for me? Or Siri, can you know you do these things for me within the electronic health record, mm. saving the clinician you know so much time uh, and improving their experience with the digital technologies that we've somewhat imposed within the clinical realm. Mm-hmm. And how? What are your thoughts in terms of the actual deployment of NLP in healthcare in Australia? These are wonderful ideas. It sounds extremely important, but. You know, our healthcare organisations, our you know, our public sector healthcare um, agencies, actually taking this seriously, deploying it, investing in it. Certainly, in the academic space, we're certainly seeing you know early applications and adoption. Um, health systems working with universities, exploring different opportunities for application of NLP, particularly in that text analytics space. We've used uh, NLPs um, for a long time, as I said, in that digital transcription and those solutions that we're deploying are only getting better. So certainly we are seeing early adoption in spaces. The technology is still challenging and, 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 and if we think about medical terminology, there's a lot of requirements to make sure that the technologies that we're using are trained appropriately, that we have good training data sets and we have I think the key part of this is that clinicians are heavily involved yeah. in the design, the development and implementation. Especially the training, of these techno- right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a critical success factor. Uh, if we don't get that right, I think we'll have early failures, which will really, I guess, cloud the yeah. actual possibility of this moving forward. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, there's certainly interesting times ahead. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us on the CIO show again. And uh, welcome. look forward to having you back again soon. And yeah, I suppose it's uh, it's not too soon to say um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a bit scary, but, yeah, thank you it so much true. for having me. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about quantum computing. We've all heard about its potential to revolutionise science, medical research, even help solve some of the biggest macro challenges facing society, things like climate change or poverty. But what will quantum computing mean for the enterprise of the future? Could it help, as some suggest, raise problem solving to a whole new level, helping to address some of the most vexing problems in business? We talk to leading researchers in this space, as well as CIOs, to get their views on this mysterious, yet doubtless important emerging field of technology. We hope you can join us.